Welcome to another episode of Exploring Art Podcast, a Florida International University student podcast for the creative and curious. I'm your host, Francis Perez. I'm very pleased to have Alondra McHugh on the panel. Welcome to Exploring Art Podcast. Thank you so much for the introduction and for having me join you this evening. I hope this episode is both riveting and entertaining. We will be opening today's episode with a funny story about a woman who was unexpectedly surprised when she discovered who painted the art she had purchased. This story is going to bring up many questions regarding the philosophy of art and what we consider to be art, while also giving us some laughs. In Liverpool, England, late in 1983, a wine merchant named Maureen Gledhill bought an abstract painting from Ernest Cleverly a sculptor who also runs a pet shop. When Miss Gledhill walked into the shop, the sculptor had been discussing the picture with Brian Burgess, an artist, and she believed it was one of Burgess's works. She paid $105 for the painting, thinking it a bargain, and displayed it prominently in her home. But it turned out that the painting was the work of a duck named Pablo, who had escaped from his cage while cleverly, the sculptor was doing some painting and had got his feet in the paint. I noticed that it made an interesting pattern and it just developed from there, said Cleverly. I tried him on canvas with different colors. He has a real eye for composition and flair of color. Gledhill no longer displays the painting at her home, but she remarks, I know it sounds corny. I don't know much about art, but I know what I like, and this was a painting I liked. The duck, said Cleverly, is a natural. What would, what would it help Miss Gledhill to know about art in deciding what to think about the painting? Given that she has already acknowledged that she likes the painting, what plausible alternative reasons might she have for removing the painting from her home? So let's insert some context for our listeners. During 1983, popular genres of music were pop, rock, and hip hop. Great artists of the time were Michael Jackson, The Clash, Lionel Richie, and Red Hot Chili Peppers. We are already familiar with the vibrancy of this era. Bright neon colors, big voluminous hair, music videos with dance. History.com characterizes the 80s as a time of materialism and consumerism. We see the emergence of cable TV and TV networks like MTV. Blockbuster is also at its peak. Many new platforms emerge for artistic expression, and we see various artists excel in these new commercial mediums. According to Historic UK magazine, Liverpool was suffering badly from a recession in the 70s. Unemployment was high and the streets were rioting. However, in the 1980s, the city started to recover. So... We have a woman, Miss Gledhill, involved in the consumerist culture of the time, who wished to acquire an expensive art piece. She hopes to show that she has good taste in art, that she has an expressive or creative, that she is an expressive and creative individual, and feels lucky to have found an original and valuable art piece to display in her home. Mr. Cleverly, an artist himself, decides that an accidental piece made by his duck Pablo is worth displaying and selling as art. With this new accidental technique, he collaborates with his duck on more pieces and offers them for sale. After, after discovering that the creator of her painting was a duck, Miss Gledhill takes down the piece, possibly in shame, 
Brian Burgess was who she originally thought was the artist. Why did the work lose its value in Miss Gledhill's eyes after learning its creator was not human? Well, let's make a parallel comparison of the duck painting with the 1950s chimpanzee Betsy at the Baltimore Zoo. BaltimoreMagazine.com retells the story of Betsy the chimp who created abstract expressive works using tempera paint. Although other primates in the zoo were coaxed to paint just like Betsy did, no one performed as good as she did. She inspired many to look at art from a different perspective. Betsy's art potentially went through the same scrutiny as the duck's painting. People questioned whether it was art because the creator was not human. So let's discuss what art theories would include the animal-made artwork as art and which would reject the pieces as art. Let's start with an easy one. Miss Gledhill's first impression of the painting was that it was aesthetically beautiful. Aesthetic attitude theorists argue that when we take the aesthetic attitude towards an object, we thereby make it an aesthetic object. In this scenario, the duck's painting is art because it is perceived as an aesthetically pleasing piece to see to some viewers. But remember, Miss Gledhill's opinion evolved once she knew the creator of the piece was not Brian Burgess. She might have shifted to the perspectives of Dickey's small dictionary of the philosophy of art. Dickey believes that artists make art and understand what it is to make art. Since our ability to communicate with a duck or a chimp are limited, it is easy to argue that the creators of the work did not understand what they were doing when they were making the artwork. It is easy to see how the buyer of the artwork may have been disillusioned with her acquisition, seeing now that she does not know if the artist had any direct intent in creating the work. It's interesting, seeing as the objects made by these animals display many other characteristics of art, such as the materials used in an abstract style composition. For those listeners that don't know, there are five parts to Dickey's small dictionary of philosophy of art. First, artists make art and understand what it is to make art. Second, art is created to be presented in the art world publicly. Third, the public understands what is being presented to them. Fourth, the art world also equals all art world systems. And fifth, art world systems equal the art, the artist, and the public. This continues to relate to another art theory, idealism. Idealists may agree or disagree that the painting is art. They believe that the artist and the audience share a pattern of thought or emotion because of the artwork. When Miss Gledhill saw the artwork on display, she was moved by its colors and sense of expression. Mr. Cleverly talking to the famous artist Brian Burgess at the time of its sale is what tricked her into believing that the painting was even more valuable. But when it turned out that Mr. Cleverly was just using his duck as a paintbrush, it shattered her preconceptions on the value of the artwork she bought. She might be thinking to herself how thoughtless and purposeless the painting strokes might have been. A duck made it after all. The process was random and effortless, and these are not qualities Miss Gledhill valued. She thought she was collecting a priceless piece of intellectual property. Even in its randomness, idealists might enjoy that quality as a part of the thought process of a duck. A duck has somehow created something to be appreciated. 
Perhaps we perceive it as random because we don't know how a duck's mind works. This painting might make viewers feel more connected to the animal mind in a very abstract way. This in a way is what expressionist theorists believe that art should be viewed as, the expression of the mind of the artist. So maybe we might have accidentally come across a window into the mind of an animal. I would like to say that in a way we really have. Well, let's consider the following theory, essentialism. This theory, born in the time of the ancient Greeks, proposes that all types of art, all styles of art, styles of art in all cultures and across all time have a fixed set of essential or defining properties. That is to say that all art will be embraced under one universal definition. I don't believe that during this time they were debating whether an animal was capable of making art. So is animal art able to be included or excluded as having essential properties of art? In the time of the Greeks, they did value certain aesthetic qualities such as proportion, mimicking nature, and having lifelike naturalistic qualities. Abstract art may have not been considered worthy of being called art, even when it was made by a human. What about the opposing view of essentialism, anti-essentialism? This theory is related to the philosophy of Wittgenstein's family resemblances. Art has been proven to be very difficult to define. His thought process implies that even though a particular artwork may not be embraced by every definition that exists, it can still qualify as art if it is defined by at least one definition. This metaphor really helps define the concept. The strength of the thread does not reside in the fact that some one fiber runs through its whole length, but in the overlapping of many fibers. This to me accepts the duck's artwork as art, since it can be defined by several art theories as art. We may have already mentioned aesthetic attitude theory and expressionist theory. In addition to those theories, we have formalists who study art based solely on its form and what it looks like. The duck painting was made with paint on canvas and shared similarities to already existing abstract work with wild brush strokes applied on paper. Hedonists, which are also related to aesthetic attitude, say that art is studied based solely on its beauty and ability to produce pleasure. At a certain point, even Miss Gledhill enjoyed the art enough to buy it. There are also pluralist views. They believe that art is such a complex subject that its definition should therefore be just as complex. They are in agreement with the anti-essentialist in the view of art in the view that art is so difficult to understand. They have the ability to see art through different perspectives and can subscribe to various, if not all, art theories. So a pluralist might have multiple reasons to see the duck painting as worthy of being admired. In defense of Miss Gladhill, let's consider that she might have felt scammed for not being informed of the context of what she had bought. The details of how the piece was created are part of what make it. This influences the value we place on the object. Miss Gledhill might have felt like she bought counterfeit art. She, after all, thought it was the work of the famous artist Brian Burgess. This is an idea by Leo Tolsoy, that art has been diluted by works that aren't even good, yet they are considered art. Miss Gledhill might have felt like she bought counterfeit art. She, after all, thought it was the work of the famous artist Brian Burgess. This is an idea by Leo Tolstoy, 
that art has been diluted by works that aren't even good, yet they are considered art. Leo Tolstoy may have defined art as the ancient Greeks did, with emphasis on beauty, proportion, the human body, and Vitruvius. Tolstoy would have liked to make a distinction between the type of aesthetic and art made by a duck. This is an ingrained view in our Western culture to value the aesthetic value of the ancient Greeks over others. So naturally, you can understand the embarrassment this woman felt when she learned that she bought a painting not made by a famous artist, but a painting made by a duck. This is a hilarious and good point. <laughs> I would still like to add that everyone is allowed to view art in whichever way they please. It is a personal experience and a subjective ability. One can have a preference over what kind of art they enjoy and what kind of art they dislike. It is interesting how Miss Gledhill did not experience a physical change to her artwork, but a change of ideas related to it. This tempts me to raise the question, is art also a group of ideas, not just the physical object? Now tell me, how do you feel if you were Miss Gledhill? Would you take down the painting or leave it up? Honestly, I think part of me would feel a slight bit conned into believing that it was the work of art from a famous painter. But the fact that a duck created the work might make for an even better story. So I think I'd leave it up. I see it as such a great story. A talking piece for when people come over. Who else would be able to say that they had a painting made by a duck? Not many people. Unless, of course, they bought a painting from Ernest Cleverly. So yeah, if I were Miss Cleverly, I would leave the painting up. How about you, Alondra? I would also leave the painting up. I would have to admit to myself that I liked the painting from the start. It is a bit embarrassing to confuse the work of a duck to that of a famous painter, but you have to remember that Betsy the Chimp was very famous. The work of this duck might be famous and sought after one day too. Regardless, I may have already inevitably placed value on the purchase of this art piece. I did buy it for X hundred dollars, a little bit more. I would feel silly taking it down if I had already spent a good amount of money on it. That's a great point. It might as well increase in value. I wonder if the painting is still around and what it might be worth today, especially after all the publicity it's gotten. Now tell me, would you admit to others your mistake in identifying the artist if you were Miss Cleverly? I would only let close family know about my mistake. I would be embarrassed to publicly admit my mistake. It's the equivalent of confusing someone at your grocery store with a celebrity. If the newspaper offered to pay me for my story, I would be willing to let people snicker at my expense. It's a pretty funny story. Well, do you think the piece of work is art? And what art theory do you relate to the most? While I once believed that art had more to do with the perception of both the artist and audience's emotions, like the idealist view, this story helped me realize that even without the artist's emotions, whether or not something is art relies a lot on the audience's perception. Like you said, Miss Cleverly did like the painting from the start, and she, at one point or another, truly perceived it as a work of art. I wouldn't be so quick to strip away the title if I found out a duck created it. I think it truly boils down to a piece's ability to evoke emotion out of the audience, whether good or bad, regardless of who or what created it. I think that's what art is. And if that's the case, art can be found anywhere. I agree with you, Francis. I consider this a work of art. 
I see it as having the characteristics of art. It is made with materials normally used for art. It is visually appealing. I think it's a clever way of showing a side of nature. I bet you see details on the fins of the duck's feet. Nature has patterns. This painting brought focus to something we may pay little attention to. I think it was pleasing to the eye, and I have to admit that maybe these pieces possess some kind of unknown psychology about the animal mind. We would normally say that only humans have artistic ability, and now we're left unable to differentiate us from animals when it comes to creativity. It really blurs the line. So this painting is actually very thought-provoking. It makes you ask questions about your reality. In general, it is very hard to define a group of ideas related to individual personal experiences. We all have our own little world inside of us that is nearly impossible to share exactly how we feel. Maybe in order to understand art, we need to understand and define the human experience. In this case, we are shown how art may not be exclusively a human experience, but may also be an animal experience. Art seems to be a byproduct of living. I also think that there are two artists involved because Mr. Cleverly created the setting for his pet to be creative. So I don't think this painting is void of human input. The materials are human made too. So that is something to consider. That's an amazing way to see it. It's kind of like Mr. Cleverly's work was manifested through the duck in a weird way. It's a very cool way to think of it. Thanks for sharing. No problem. So tell me, did this story make you appreciate art that you wouldn't normally value as art? It sure did. I feel like my eyes are more open to seeing art in my everyday life now after hearing this story. Hearing of the value in a duck's creation also encourages me to create art as a way of helping express my feelings to others. How about you? I too feel like I took a deep dive into a subject I never thought I would examine. I used to be more strict about what I admired in art. Growing up, I might have been a bit pretentious and only enjoyed qualities that showed great technical skill and ability. Now I have been taught to see art that I would never consider good as enjoyable. To me, it has other emotional qualities that make the world a more enjoyable and free place. You don't have to be good to participate in art and you can still make others feel and think. The philosophy of animal-made art it's hilarious. It's one of life's many funny quirks. Having read about it as well as studying different art theories made me become more of a pluralist thinker. This experience has also shown me how art has a way of making you think and see things differently. It is very easy to just glance at a splash of color and feel pleased for a few seconds, but when you really break down a subject in this way, you begin to see the many sides of it that you did not consider before. I now see animals as being capable of being a little more sentient than I gave them credit for. I feel closer to animals knowing they are a little more like me. This was a very enjoyable and comical story. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Your hosts were Francis Perez and your co-host Alondra McHugh. We really appreciate you taking part in this discussion with us. This concludes Exploring Art Podcast. Subscribe to Exploring Art Podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Please join us soon. And remember, stay curious. Yay!